well. Would you get this morning a Bible and open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And as you're turning there, this is a really exciting week. This is an exciting week because it's great to celebrate when someone is healed. It's great to celebrate when someone feels better. It's great when someone takes a a medicine that just seems to do the trick. Whether that's little ones like sniffles or taste and smell. or cancer in remission, those are good reasons to be happy, to be glad. And it's also, isn't it great to celebrate a raise or a promotion, a new baby, even presents under the Christmas tree, a good crop, a new house, finishing a project, finishing a school semester? I can celebrate that this week. <laughs> even good things in the church baby dedications, weddings, kids getting, and adults hopefully, getting baptized, people learning the gospel and growing and understanding the Bible. These are wonderful and they should be celebrated. So, and I bring all these up because we've looked for the past couple weeks now. And it's a big theme in Scripture, so we don't, we didn't, we were well worth our time to not miss it. Is that, Trusting God, believing Jesus also needs to happen when there's suffering, when there's death. But we still need to ask the question, what about when the clouds part? What about when we hear the angels sing? Who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? Who gets the honor when things go well, even amazingly well in our lives? Today, we are given a much greater picture of reality. Today, we get to see something almost unimaginably well in a family's life. A family who for well over four days has been locked in the grip of suffering. Their brother Lazarus was sick and deteriorating. They send a message to God in the flesh, Jesus, the one who they know who can help. And he doesn't come when they want him to. And Lazarus dies. And now, on the fourth going on fifth day, since Lazarus has been put in the grave and the eulogy has been set, Jesus comes. And he's going to fulfill what he said he would do in John chapter 11, verse 4, where he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So do you know what they got to see? They got to see the glory of God. Today, we get to see the glory of God. So would you stand with me as we read and see the glory of God in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, beginning in verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You can have a seat. This text this morning is written to call us higher. Higher than just getting better or things going well. This text is written to give us hope. This text is written for beholding glory. We're called to believe glory today in this text. What this text teaches is that we must believe that Jesus is the glory of God. How then does this text teach us to believe the glory of God? Firstly, in this passage, believing Jesus comes through doing. And all the Protestant ears in the congregation slammed on their brakes and said, Wait! What? We are saved, Aaron, by grace alone through faith alone, apart from works of the law, Aaron. How can you say that? Look again at the text. Believing comes through doing? How does it come about? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Believing Jesus comes through doing. The question is, when do we do? When do we obey? When do we act in faith? Firstly, we act in faith when Jesus commands it. Take away the stone, Jesus said. And that, of all commands in Scripture, that was pretty simple. And how are we acting in faith? Because we look at the one who says it. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, take away the stone. Jesus, who earlier in the passage in verse 25 and 26 said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives in me, lives and believes in me, shall never die. So if the resurrection and the life says, take away the stone, take away the stone! But secondly, we act in faith when it seems crazy. Continuing in verse 39, Martha, the sister of the dead man, She's labeled there as the sister of the dead man because this guy is really dead. There's no joking or messing around about this. He's really dead. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. The King James reads, By this time he stinketh. She knows. She saw him buried. 
And Jesus wants to open up the tomb where someone is rotting? Put yourself in right here. What's her response? Lord, what is her response? Well, it may be logistical sense, but it's unbelief. It's incomplete faith. See, this obedience, Jesus calling her to obey, does not come in a vacuum. Martha has already made a profession of faith. In verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. See, we should never expect obedience to Jesus from those who reject him. But we should expect Jesus, we should expect obedience and acting in faith from those who profess faith in him. It is a rightful expectation of us as believers. The world does it. When they hear you're a Christian, they expect certain things from you, some of which may or may not be true, but some of them are true. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 15? He said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This is not belief as lip service to Jesus. No. As one pastor friend of mine says, true faith is living faith, is visible faith. And the, the writer of the epistle to James says in his letter, James 2, verse 14 through 26, he says that faith without works is a dead faith, even a demonic faith. Our Lord loves us too much to let us get away with cheap talk. So he tells Martha and those around her, take away the stone, even when doing so seems crazy. And thirdly, we act in faith before God works in front of us. Lord, there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. What does Jesus say to Martha the mortician? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, we're not told in Scripture that Jesus said those exact words to her. But we can correctly believe that he told her that based on how he interacted with the disciples in chapter 11, verse 4, where he said this, what he's about to do right now, what is all has happened to Lazarus and the grief his sisters have gone, gone through is all for the glory of God. And when he told her that he is the resurrection and the life. But when is Martha to act on her faith? When is she supposed to do what Jesus commands? After the miracle? Before, where, where there's no need for her to grow in the trust of the Lord? Is it easy to walk in faith when you already know exactly what has happened? That's not faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not yet seen. And what she has not yet seen was the glory of God. But Jesus told her that if she believed, which includes profession of faith and acting in that profession, she would see the glory of God. 
We must believe that Jesus is the glory of God. And believing comes through doing. So they took away the stone. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the 19th century prince of preachers, highlighted this very point when it came to praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that in, our Lord, in what's called the Lord's Prayer. God's will be done. And he said, quote, My brethren, I am afraid that Christ's will on earth is very much more discussed than done. I have heard of brethren spending days in disputing upon a precept which their dispute was breaking. In heaven, they have no disputes, but they do the will of God without discord. We are best employed when we are actually doing something for this fallen world and for the glory of our Lord. Your will be done. We must come to actual works of faith and labors of love. Too often we are satisfied with having approved of that will or with having spoken of it in words of commendation. But we must not stay in thought, resolve, or word. The prayer is practical and businesslike. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. End quote. Believing comes through doing. We must believe that Jesus is the glory of God. Well, how else do we believe that Jesus is the glory of God from this passage? Secondly, Believing Jesus comes through hearing. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, verse 41, and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. (laughs) As the stench of dead Lazarus comes wafting out of the tomb, Jesus stops and takes time to pray. If he thought that taking precious time like this was important, we ought to as well. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10 verse 17 says. So what does Jesus want to hear when he prays aloud? First, he wants us to hear that God the Father hears him. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. We're we're really, really revving to get to the part where Lazarus comes out of the tomb. But don't miss this. The relationship with God the Father is everything for Jesus. As one commentator said, so absolute is the Son's commitment to the glorifying of the Father in his mission that there is nothing which the Father will refuse him. Accordingly, The Son is invested with all authority in heaven and earth. Nothing is withheld from him, not even the power of life and death. This relationship is amazing. The resurrection of Lazarus has been part of the communication of the Holy Trinity as a sign to reveal the glory of God, to reveal that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And every work of the Son has been a joint effort of God the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. So where does Jesus go when there's work, the work of God to be done? When there's a need for the glory of God to be known, what does he do? He prays to his Father. Jesus never did anything prayerlessly. 
and of all the people who you think would not need to do that. God, praying to God. What an example. Did you know that though we might not be seeing Lazaruses raised all around town, we are given the same privilege through Jesus to know and speak to God as Father. To be in relationship to a perfect Heavenly Father who gives good gifts to His children, who never tempts, who, as Romans 8 says, does all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We have that privilege because of Jesus. To come to the Father because of Jesus, through Jesus, and to call Him Father, to call Him Dad. And we also have confidence, as Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, that Jesus is not only our mediator to allow us to pray to God the Father, He Himself, as the text says, always lives to make intercession for us to bring all of our needs, all of our sufferings, all of our desires before our Heavenly Father. And we can know that He hears us because He hears Jesus, whom we believe is the glory of God. And we too can give God thanks. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you heard Jesus. God the Father hears Him. And secondly, even more so, Jesus wants us to hear that God the Father sent Him. Again, verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. If we don't believe that Jesus has been sent from heaven, from God the Father, we will miss a crucial reality of who he is. The Son of God is really from God. He is really fully human, but he's not just a man. He's not created. He's sent. And if he's sent, that means he's not some self-seeking miracle worker looking only for you to donate to, to his on-demand healing ministry. Jesus wants them, and he wants you and I to believe him as sent from the Father. This is amazing because nobody in this crowd was allowed to leave this scene thinking, to allowed to leave this incredible sign thinking that Jesus was acting on his own. No, the name of the entire Holy Trinity is on the line at this moment. Jesus ultimately isn't after raising of Lazarus. That's great. But he's after God's glory because the Father sent him. And we get to hear him talk to the one who sent him so that we would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And as the purpose of John's Gospel says, that we might have life in his name. We must believe that Jesus is the glory of God. But there does come a point where our faith does become sight. And our believing Jesus is further grown. 
is further reinforced by seeing the glory of God. So thirdly, believing Jesus comes through seeing. Now we get to it. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) This is incredible. Believing Jesus comes through seeing. We must believe that Jesus is in the glory of God. And when we do believe, do you know what we see? What do we see? We see Jesus speak and give physical life. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! I like saying that. Lazarus, come out! I don't have the authority that he does. Jesus, who is he? God in the flesh whose word accomplishes all that it purposes, who created by saying in Genesis chapter 1, let there be, and there was. And here he says, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) This should be absolutely stunning and 100% totally expected. We should be in awe toward God who has the authority over death and who has the power to give life. But we should totally expect what God says to come to pass. We don't know why Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Some have said if Jesus had not specified Lazarus, every dead person would have come out of their graves at this command. But imagine the scene. There is likely a lot of sobbing, crying. Lazarus may have been tucked back in the tomb, out of earshot. One thing is clear. Everyone knew that Lazarus was in the tomb and everyone saw Jesus standing there outside the tomb. And everyone heard, above all the mourning and this crying and the sobbing, Jesus cry out, Lazarus, come forth! And everyone saw Lazarus in his grave clothes come shuffling out of the tomb. We see Jesus speak and give physical life. Now we wrestle with that in our uh, very sophisticated, naturalist, scientific 21st century world, don't we? I found something that are are called uh, helpful minimal facts from a guy named Gary Habermas about the resurrection. And he uses these minimal facts as as pointers for Jesus' resurrection but I put them for, before, before you today because if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we can easily believe that Lazarus rose from the dead. One of the criteria of these minimal facts is that each argument is agreed, by virtually every, is agreed upon by virtually everyone. Even critics and skeptics largely agree with these. And there's six. First, Jesus died by crucifixion. Second, all of Jesus' disciples had experiences that they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. Group hallucination is not as possible as you think it is, or you might think it is. Third, Jesus' resurrection was and is the event that had turned the world upside down. Christianity was even known early on as the resurrection religion. Fourth, people were taught and even willing to die for the reality of the resurrection. 
Fifth, the resurrection was proclaimed extremely early in terms of the teachings of Jesus and in terms of the apostles' teaching. And sixth, major skeptics like a brother, James, of Jesus, and a persecutor of the church, Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, both claimed that they had seen the risen Christ. And just those six are part of a huge body that we have to say, yes, the resurrection really did happen. You can really put, put your money in the bank on that. So here, this should be no big deal for us to accept. Everyone standing outside Lazarus' tomb could not doubt that Jesus had raised Lazarus. We see Jesus speak and give physical life. But what did Jesus tell Martha? He said, if you, what, believed, you would see, what, the glory of God. You see, in this scene, some people walked away from this seeing only a miracle. Others walked away seeing the glory. Something way more important than a miracle. Believing Jesus comes through seeing, secondly, we see Jesus' picture of spiritual life. Because when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who died came out. What is all of this that we're studying this morning? It's a sign. And what are signs? They signify something. They are not the end in themselves. No one was supposed, no one was supposed to walk away from this thinking, oh, that was a cool trick that Jesus did. No, this is proof of Jesus' claim. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, the reality is, in Scripture and across history, physical resurrection is extremely, extremely rare. The Bible only has a few instances in its thousands of verses But Jesus doing what he came to do when he, said, when he said he was coming to give life and that they may have life to the full, spiritual life? What about that? How rare is that? We are imprisoned and enslaved in sin apart from Jesus. We are spiritually dead, the scripture says. Cut off from the life of God. It is not until Jesus calls and we place our trust in him and he lays down his own life, rises and takes off his own grave clothes that we see that we've been brought from spiritual death to life. And that is happening all over. We don't think about it much in our day to day, but we really ought to. Did you know that every day on this planet, thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people across this world are being brought from spiritual death to life? This is his work, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not come against it. 
in this picture, we see Jesus' spiritual life. But that's not the only thing. We see also that Jesus gives us a part in his work. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Who did the raising? Jesus. We don't do the raising. That is the authority and privilege of Christ alone. But we do get to act in faith by removing the stone and helping disciple people in the new life Jesus has given. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus tells us to do so? I mean, you have to imagine this. The scene at the tomb must have been just short of utter chaos at this moment. The people were just as much terrified as they were excited. Sobbing and mourning went away like air being sucked out of the room. And what's amazing is that everyone was so stunned and so overwhelmed at what had happened that Jesus, who not only cares about our spiritual lives, and cares about the signs, but also cares about those who are involved in the signs, he has to tell them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus gives us a part in his work. Theologian Arthur Pink said, there is no higher privilege this side of heaven than for us to be used of the Lord in rolling away gravestones and removing grave clothes. So here's the question, how does he want to use you to make disciples? How does he want to use you to welcome people into the kingdom? How does he want to use you to equip them, walk alongside them, help them live with Christ if they've already been found in him? He doesn't just say, go into all the world and make disciples as as if that's for other churches. No, that's for you and for me. Believing Jesus comes through seeing. And this glorious privilege points us back to the reality that we must believe that Jesus is the glory of God. So have you seen the glory of God? Or was it just a miracle on a page to you today? Do you believe him? Here's another question. Will we lay down our desire to be glorified at his feet? Will we give glory to the one who is the glory of God in our doing, in our hearing, in our seeing? For all the good things that God does in our lives, salvation is the greatest. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Who's us? Rebellious sinners. He came and revealed his glory, showed us that in his glory, he came as a gift for us. For us. He desires that we would not only see the glory of God at the tomb of Lazarus, but at the cross, at the empty tomb, his empty tomb, at our conversion, our new birth, 
And at the new birth of those we know and those we don't. He wants us in the good things. When the sky is parted and the sun shines upon our hearts, as the scripture says, he wants us to see the glory of God, Jesus the Christ, in new resurrected life forever and ever. We must believe that Jesus is the glory of God. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your glory revealed in your Son. Thank you that your Son is your glory, your joy, your great praise. You in him, you are well pleased. Oh Lord, we come to you and confess that for many of us who have read this passage many, many, many times, sometimes the glory has gotten stale or we have allowed it to be covered by things of this life. But you have so much better design for those things of this life that they would not hinder your glory, but that they would show your glory to through us to one another, to the world around us. We pray for your help, Lord. So many of us in various situations, don't know how to disciple. Don't know how to show people Jesus. We ask for your help. Because Lord, maybe we'll be given an opportunity. I don't. I really don't know. Not, not like this. This is a sign. This is different. Our job is not to go around to caskets each day. Our job is to proclaim your gospel to those who are dead right next door, right in our own homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. Lord, we pray for your help. And we trust you as a good father who always hears his son and who always hears us through his son. That you will give without finding fault. We thank you Thank you for the hope of the gospel. We pray these things in the name by which everyone must be, by, under heaven by which people must be saved, the name of Jesus. Amen.